So y'all are going to come in on the second verse. So just listen. preparing ourselves for our groom. We are yours and you are mine, ours. This relationship, O oh Lord, is but a divine one bought and paid in full on Calvary. We are undeserving, O oh Lord, to have a relationship that is consummated in the blood of Christ, finished on the cross. And yes, O oh Lord, our dear brother Randy is about to preach a sermon of the preparation of his death. He will spend three days in the grave, and he will be absent from those who love him. The Shulamite woman has said, My heart sank at his departure. Indeed, we miss you even now, O Lord. We long for your return at your second coming, your second advent where you set everything in order. Your justice will reign. Your love will be fused in completeness with your people. Oh, how we long for that day. And we are like Lot, whose souls are vexed each day with the sin that is around us and also the sin that is still within us. We groan within ourselves, O Lord, longing for your visitation upon us, and we come here together collectively that you would visit us powerfully with the preaching of your word. Enable our dear brother Randy to speak as of the oracles of God and that we might hear the word of God penetrating our hearts and our mind to a degree, O Lord, we are changed forevermore. That we truly can leave this house of worship and say that Jesus is mine and I am his. He has found me and I was lost he has uh, given us, O oh Lord, the springs of living water that are flowing out of us, O oh Lord, through his blood. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord in all the earth. Let the congregation of believers here today say and sing the song of the Lord that says, He is the one whose name is Jesus, and we worship him as the only begotten Son of God. We praise thee, O Lord, this day that the remains of the service will be to your glory and to your honor and to your majesty. And we thank you for you, O Lord, our Savior and King. Amen. Hello, everyone. Good afternoon. You, you still want to say morning, but reminded. Um, thank you, Brother Todd. So we're going through a series about the events that happen um, through Holy Week. Last week, our Brother Justin brought the word to us about the triumphal entry. You did a great job. Thank you, Justin. This week, we're going to be talking about the anointing of Jesus. Um, it's a week of all weeks. 
Um, it's, it's a special week. Um, I hope and pray that through this series we will all pick up truths that would bless and increase our, our love for the Lord. Um, that's the most important thing. That somehow we're all touched by it. Um, and I want to thank people that came up and said, hey, I was praying this week for the sermon and didn't know it was me or did know it was me. Um, and I would encourage you all um, to pray during the week. Make it a part of your devotional to play, pray for Sunday service. Pray for, you don't have to know who's preaching. Someone's going to be up here. Pray for them. Pray that the Lord would re- prepare all our hearts to receive truth. And that's when the transformation takes place. How powerful would that be if that's all in our daily devotionals? So I encourage you to, to, to do that if you're not. And those who are, I thank you. So there's a lot going on this last week of Jesus' ministry before coming to the cross. And we're trying to highlight some of those important events in this series. What an amazing week that led up to the cross of Christ. When you think about important weeks listed in the Bible, the week of creation would come to mind as God created six days, everything that existed on the earth, and then on the seventh day he rested. The first week of Jesus' ministry on earth is an important week and very interesting. His first miracles, picking the twelve apostles, preaching, repentance, and faith. But the weeks of weeks is the last seven days Jesus spent teaching and preparing his children in dealing with the hatred of those in the world that weren't his. The cross was in sight, and it was coming soon. Some understood, and many that were there didn't completely understand and comprehend entirely what was about to happen, even though he explained it to them many times. So Passion Week, Holy Week, a week I believe to be the most important week of history. The week of the crucifixion and the resurrection is a week like no other week. All of history before the cross pointed to the cross. And all of history after the cross of Christ points back. Why? It's the most significant and important event that has ever happened. No other week like Holy Week. True believers make much of the cross of Christ because it's where we found complete forgiveness and mercy and in grace of Jesus and his love that is like no other love. The time has come, set by the Father, his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is on a path to the cross. And Jesus has set his face like a flint to the cross. Some people love him, some people hate him. There's no in between. Jesus must be everything to you or he's nothing. The hatred for Jesus has come to a climax for that time era. He has done nothing but spoken the truth of the gospel. He has said things like, I am the way and the truth. No man comes to the Father except me. He said, if you don't believe me, believe in the works I do. Look at the evidence, he says. Miracle after miracle healed thousands and thousands. His short three years of ministry has shown that he has authority over all creation. He has fed thousands with a few loaves of bread and a few fish. Some believe that he's truly the Son of God. Others' hearts are hardened and choose to hate him instead. 
and they want to do away with them. Jesus is on the Father's timetable. This week of Holy Week was determined and set by the Father, not by man. Jesus had to voluntarily give himself up into the hands of sinful men. They tried to seize him before, and he just walked right by them. In John 7.30 it says, So they were seeking to seize him, and no man laid his hand on him, because his hour had not come. Also in John 10.39 we read, They were seeking again to seize him, but he eluded their grasp. John, Jesus said in 10.18, No man take my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord, and I have authority to pick it back up. This charge he had received from the Father. The time had come for Jesus to do what he had came for. To save people who would believe in his sacrifice, his atoning blood that shed on the cross for the sins to spare them from destruction and damnation and everlasting hell. God's plans, God's timing, man's responsibility to receive a love for this beautiful truth. Is this not what Peter preached on the day of Pentecost? Acts 2, 22 and 24. He said, men of Israel, or he could be saying today, or men of and women of Southbridge, Massachusetts, or Connecticut, or wherever you reside. Listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. God's sovereignty, man's responsibility to respond to the truth go hand in hand. So the appointed time for Jesus to go to the cross has come. He is six days from the Passover. And that coming Passover will be the true and final Passover that all other Passovers pointed to. All previous Passovers were nothing but a shadow pointing to the real and final Passover of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. The last three years before his last week, Jesus has done amazing and beautiful things. The blind received their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. These are the results of three years of public and private ministry. The kingdom of God is at hand. The evidence, the results, the truth is perfectly clear. The Son of God, the Christ, has revealed himself to mankind. And there are two results, two groups. And that's what we're going to see in this text today. One group has a deepening love and appreciation and gratitude for their Savior. The other group has a hardening taking place in their hearts of increased unbelief and increased hatred and hostility of those who don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One. This is what we'll see today in our text. You're like Mary or you're like Judas. We're all in one of these two groups. Ask yourself which group you're in right now. He's either everything to you or he's nothing to you. But a nice history, a nice history lesson, a nice story. So let's go to the text this morning and read. I'm going to be reading from the um, ESV, John 12, 1 through 8. 
Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume, a pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. Therefore, Jesus said, let her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me. Amazing story, isn't it? Very unique. Not one that uh, is like many others in the Word of God. This is what we're going to see in this passage of Scripture today. Extravagant love for the Savior and hatred of the unbeliever that has now penetrated to Jesus' inner circle of the chosen apostles. So let's set the stage for this astonishing event. In John 11:5, we are told that Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. They're good friends that know Jesus, and they've been listening to his words, words of life, especially Mary. Now listen to this, please, because you need to get this point. Jesus loved them so much that he's going to let their brother Lazarus die so that he can show them his glory and power and authority over death and straighten their belief, straighten their faith, and trust in him. Jesus is already wanted in Lazarus' town of Bethany. They had just tried to stone him for making himself equal with God. But he's in the will of the Father and he's coming back to raise his friend Lazarus from the dead. And he does. So now Jesus is in even greater danger. The chief priests and the Pharisees come together and they plan how to do away with Jesus. Caiaphas prophesies being the high priest that one man should die for the nations. Orders are given by the priests and Pharisees that if anyone knew where Jesus was, they were to report it and so they, they could seize this man. So with all these seeking and watching for Jesus, we read in our text this morning, in verse 1, Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, comes to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus raised from the dead. The therefore, in verse 1, points back to what is written in chapter 11. It is obvious that our Lord is intentionally putting himself into danger. He's going to be laying down his life. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and now there's a conspiracy to kill Jesus. Caiaphas prophesies that Jesus should die for the nation. Therefore, Jesus returns to Bethany to raise Lazarus. Jesus, the true Paschal Lamb that was to be sacrificed for his people, So Jesus comes to Bethany, which is walking distance of Jerusalem, where he was to be slain in a few days. And I also must mention that in our parallel accounts, which was written in Matthew and Mark of this, of this same account, says that those, Matthew, 
Matthew and Mark both say, and they write, that Caiaphas and the Pharisees are issuing a decree who both, they both desire greatly for Jesus' death. But they say, not on the feast day, not on the Passover. Otherwise, a riot might occur, occur among the people. They wanted him dead. They wanted to destroy the truth because they were following Satan and not God. But on the Passover, they said, don't do it. For There could be a riot. But God's counsel could not be thwarted by man. And at the very hour that the lambs were slain, which is nine, the ninth hour, which is three o'clock our time, our Lord committed his spirit to the Father. The true Passover was sacrificed according to the perfect plan of God. Verse 2, So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving. But Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Jesus is in Bethany with some close friends. Matthew and Mark tell us that he's in home in the home of Simon the leper. Now you don't hang out with people who have leprosy. The disease has no cure and it didn't just leave you. So we have to assume that Jesus at one time had cured Simon. So Jesus, his 12 disciples, Martha and Mary, their brother Lazarus, and maybe others, but those we know for sure, are gathered together at Simon's home, the leopard. And they made Jesus a supper there. Pretty brave of these friends of Jesus to make a special meal for Jesus. Remember, he's a wanted man by the leaders. So these friends are putting themselves in, also in danger. Now a meal was made for Jesus. Not for Lazarus, who is alive again, but for Jesus. So a celebration for their close friend Jesus, who restored their joy in his miracles that he worked among them. I'm sure it was given in gratitude and praise for his power over death and bringing Lazarus up from the grave. But there was more than that going on, especially with Mary. There was a connection here with Jesus and his close friends. He felt their pain when their brother was dead. He wept with them. Their pain was his pain, feeling their hurt in his own heart. And now their joy in him was also his joy. Nothing like friends to share your joy and also your suffering. But the ultimate friend of friends is Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus, brothers and sisters. Talk to him. He's a friend of redeemed sinners. So they make Jesus a supper there. How often do we read about that? A meal given in Jesus' honor in Scripture. What a special occasion to think about. Jesus is in the town of Bethany. Who is he meeting with? Not the mayor, not the religious leaders, not one of high regard who has made a name for himself in town. No, he's with his people who are called out by his name, the humble, the lonely, the ones who know they don't deserve his salvation and they're receiving it by grace through faith. Even as our Lord rejoiced over a meal with a few friends, I would imagine that the thought of the cross was very near, and the thought of the cross in the very near future had to still come to his mind from time to time. The sovereignty of God arranges a small celebration for his son on what most what must have been the hottest week of his earthly life. He's going to suffer for all those in the entire world who would one day be called out of spiritual death into spiritual life. 
The text says Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Lazarus, he's the perfect picture of spiritual life. Stone cold dead for four days. Nothing he or anyone else could do about it other than Jesus. Is that not a picture of all of us before God gives us spiritual life? Spiritually dead, living for the pleasures of the world, thinking all is good when really we're on the wide road to damnation. Until Jesus calls our names and gives us eyes to see, a heart to believe, with a mouth to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Once dead but now spiritually alive, seated at the table with Christ. Positionally speaking, the child of God has been raised up and is seated with Him in the heavenly places. That's Ephesians 2, 5 and 6. We were dead in our transgression. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Don't ever get over your salvation. It's a miracle to be saved from the domain of darkness and know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Don't take it for granted. Verses 3 through 6. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume, a pure nod, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him, said, Why this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. It was a custom back in those days for a servant or someone to wash the feet of your guests when they came into your home. Sandals, dirt roads, pass-through fields explains for the condition of dirty feet. Sometimes they would put a drop of perfume in the water that they were using for washing. Perfume was costly then and it still is today. And I'm sure all of you men or women that have purchased perfume, you can spend some crazy money on it. I googled it and it's just mind-boggling. There's a perfume out there called Oud, O-U-D, that currently averages $30,000 per kilogram. There's another one called Oris Absolute at a reported $50,000 per kilogram. So if you guys are looking for something for your wife, <laughs> see me, and I'll point you in the right direction. But women would save up perfume for the day of their wedding or their own funeral. So this perfume that Mary is pouring out on Jesus is worth 300 denarii. One denarii was a laborer's daily pay. So it was a year's wages, extremely valuable then and now. Estimated to our money system right now, probably twenty-five dollars to $30,000. The Gospel of Matthew and Mark tells us that Mary also poured the perfume on Jesus' head. We read about this being done in the Old Testament, how they anointed kings and priests. Samuel poured oil over Saul's head to anoint him as king. As king. And Jesus is our king, our great high priest, who is always making intercession for us. But in this case, he's being anointed for his upcoming burial. 
Matthew and Mark also tell us that the alabaster box or the jar that Mary was keeping, the perfume in, she broke also. And that alone had a value being made out of a transparent white rock. Mary's heart was broken. She has sat at the feet of the Lord of glory before to be taught by him. Her heart and her mind were transformed by listening to the Lord and her Savior. And Mary had a good understanding of the love of God and the Son of God. She grasped the truth of her sin and the results of it. She had a first-hand um, experience of the power of God and the Son of God. Mary was a believer. Her whole heart belonged to Jesus. As she was pouring out the most valuable possession that she owned, she was pouring out her heart and the devotion to the Lord. And this wasn't no sudden impulse, spur of the moment thing. She wanted to show Jesus that he was worthy of this and more. She broke the alabaster box. Her heart was broken. Jesus' body was going to be broken soon. What an amazing and beautiful scene. Try to picture it in your head. The ointment was extremely costly, but not too costly to lavish upon Jesus. By this act, Mary bore witness to all that were there, and whoever read this account, the infinite, priceless value of the person of Jesus Christ. Mary had a good understanding on the value of knowing Jesus as her Lord and Savior. What is Jesus worth to you? What is he worth to me? What, what is our salvation worth? What do you possess that has more value than Jesus? We're going to see in Judas' heart, money was more valuable than Jesus to him. What is most valuable to you will eventually own you. I heard about an interview with billionaires. And one of them was asked, how much before you have enough? And he said, just a little more. Jesus is worth our all in all, our complete devotion and worship. For what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his very soul? That was Jesus' words. Mary anointed our Lord for burial. He was despised and rejected of men and about to go through a humiliating, degrading, mean, and shameful death. I wonder if she could see the pain in his eyes when she looked at him. Mary at this point understood the impending death of Christ better than the twelve apostles. Somehow in Jesus' upcoming and tragic death, somehow lay her redemption. She understood what the disciples didn't want to understand. Mary understood that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, which means the anointed one. Mary had thought, how can I show my love for him, he who first loved me? Jesus had Mary's heart. Mary could have used this ointment when her brother Lazarus died, but she didn't. And she loved her brother dearly, but for some reason she held on to it. I wonder if Mary was thinking Isaiah 52.7, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace, who brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. She wiped his feet with her hair. Can you imagine? 
Mary recognized something of what was due him. Therefore, after anointing him, she wiped his feet with her hair, which is her glory according to 1 Corinthians 11.15. Nothing too good for the Lord. Mary took the most honoring and beautiful part of herself, her beautiful hair, and wiped the ointment off the feet of Jesus, the lowliest part of him. I'm reminded of John the Baptist saying, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Jesus is going to be washing the feet of the disciples soon, including Judas, and wiping their feet with a towel. A towel wasn't good enough, too impersonal for the feet of Jesus to marry, so she uses her hair. Amazing. Mary understood the person and the work of Jesus, which became the force behind her act of devotion and testimony to the Savior. Jesus often told the twelve of his impending death, and I'm sure Mary, Mary heard it as well, and she understood the reason for his, his death, her sin, and she understood the significance of her death, her salvation. She took the truth that Jesus taught to heart. Her sins and my sins and yours are put on Jesus on the cross. He paid the price that Mary could never pay. Do you believe that Jesus died for you? Do you understand that God sent his only begotten son for your salvation? Jesus was Mary's king and great high priest and true prophet. He was and is worthy of more, but she gave the best that she had. She gave it all. She gave her heart to Jesus completely. Held nothing back. That's what he expects from us, brothers and sisters. It's the only way. It's everything or nothing. Mary came to this event, a dinner for Jesus. She didn't come to hear a sermon, even though the best preacher in the world was there. She didn't come like countless others who came to Jesus the last three years with a request for a miracle. The fellowship of the others was probably not on her mind. No, This was all ordained by God the Father. Jesus was always in the Father's will and he was right there, right where he was supposed to be. And Mary came and wanted to pour out her heart on Jesus with what she had long treasured up. Her greatest treasure on earth was nothing much compared to the treasure of knowing Christ. She gave it all because Jesus had her whole heart. Jesus was her greatest treasure and still is today. Adoration, homage, worship, blessing was the thought for the only one deserving of such honor and praise. I have to believe that it must have been refreshing to Jesus, encouraging to him somehow that someone understood what he was going through. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. The fragrance of the, of Christ person abides in the whole house, not just the room, but the whole house. If mercy and grace and love had a smell, surely there was this. Something beautiful and sweet was happening in the house and the the aroma gave evidence and testimony to it. The hands of Mary wiping Jesus' feet with the perfume in her hair. The hands of love. In a few days, hands of evil men will be beating Jesus' head, stretching out his hands and piercing him with a nail. Thank God for the hands of love that touched them first. Verses 7 and 8. Therefore Jesus said, let her alone, so that she may keep it for my day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me. 
Mary put all the attention onto Jesus, a special occasion for our Savior. Jesus was trying, she was trying to express in her own way the worthiness and the beauty of her Savior. But not Judas. Three years listening and watching the words of Jesus, but he missed it. He heard the gospel preached many times, but his love for the world and money had hardened his heart so much that he couldn't get it. He couldn't understand the worthiness of the Savior. Jesus, Judas takes all the attention of, off the Savior and tries to put it on the poor. He saw the value in the ointment, but he completely missed the value of Jesus. The hardness of his heart and his decision to not believe caused him to miss it. He didn't get it. His love for temporal earthly value, money, put him in a condition that he couldn't see the beauty of his salvation. Also, his salvation sitting right in front of him in Jesus Christ. How many times did he sit at the feet of the Lord and hear the Savior teach and preach? What a tragedy. What a contrast. One, one has her affection and whole being intertwined with the love of God in Jesus Christ. Judas looked at Jesus as maybe an opportunity, make a name for myself, maybe receive some riches of the world that the world has to offer, and he forfeited his very own soul. Matthew and Mark tell us that some of the other apostles were indignant of this waste as well. But the spokesperson of the group at the time was Judas. He was the one that injected the poison into the others' minds. The Lord had taught them well about the poor. The church, God's people, should have a heart for the poor. Jesus says you will always have that opportunity, but you won't always have me. Judas was a crook who had no desire for repentance. He couldn't understand what he considered a waste. Love is never wasted. Generosity is never wasted. Sacrifice is never wasted. You cannot outgive the Lord. Mary gave her heart to, Ju- to Jesus. Judas gave his heart to the things of the world. He had the same opportunity as Mary. He was with Jesus more than Mary. But he didn't come to salvation. The perfume wasn't wasted. His life was wasted. That's the true waste here in this story. Judas had no love for Christ at all. It was impossible that he would understand what was done for Jesus. He was spiritually blind. He tried to conceal his covetous heart and with benevolence. He made himself out to be a friend of the poor, but in reality, he wanted the value of the ointment for himself. These are Judas's first recorded, recorded words. Not the words of faith, but the words of unbelief. Mary's first recorded words, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What a contrast. Judas worked his way into being the treasurer of the group. So the other 11 must have trusted him. He was good in disguising his heart to others, but he didn't fool the Lord. God knows the condition of our hearts better than we do. Mary's heart was moved by God to anoint the Savior for his upcoming burial. Judas' heart was moved by Satan and greed and evil to get his hands on what wasn't his. A meal given for Jesus. Mary breaks out in worship to our Lord. Judas doesn't understand it. And his spiritual deadness causes hatred to proceed out of him. 
The scene reminds me of our famous 23rd Psalm. In verse 5 it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. When God is working in the hearts of the redeemed, Satan is always lurking somewhere to try to trip us up. Poor Mary is probably an ultimate place of worship right now for her. And Judas tries to rebuke her and discourage her. A.W. Pink said, Behind the rose bush lurked a serpent. But the great shepherd is always there to take care of his precious sheep, isn't he? The wolf is in the house with the sheep, but the great shepherd will take care of those who are his own. Jesus said, let her alone so that she can keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me. Leave her alone, Jesus. Jesus. Leave her alone, Judas, Jesus says. I would have said, shut up, Satan. But unlike Jesus, he's always under good self-control. The disciples who eventually got to, they got to a place spiritually later on after the resurrection where they could understand where Mary's heart was. Judas condemned Mary and others in the group echoed his criticism. I'm sure Mary, I'm sure many misunderstood Mary's actions, but Jesus didn't stop her and say, you know, Mary, you're really going over the top here. No. He, he received the gift and the worship from her. He knew her motive, and he commended her deed. Mary had learned much at the feet of Jesus. That's us, brothers and sisters. Do you spend time, that you should, the time you should be spending, at the feet of Jesus? That's where we're, what we're doing when we're reading and we're studying the Word of God. What a lesson here for us. For you always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me. Mary had fellowship with Jesus' sufferings. What a beautiful place to be. There is a very searching message here for us today in this story. Where are you people today spiritually? Who is your God? What holds on to the affections of your heart? Jesus said, you won't always have me. You have entered into a personal relationship with Jesus. Have you? Do you know what it is to have a fellowship, to have fellowship with Jesus Christ? Do you relate to this passage of scripture to Mary or do you relate to Jesus, Judas? It's a big difference. Salvation doesn't come by works. You can never earn it. No matter how hard you try, it's all God's grace. Mary is probably a very good person. But she could never be good enough on her own to inherit eternal life with Jesus. Her sins, as all of our sins, had separated her from the love of God. But there's no sin in Jesus. He was a perfect atonement for all who believed in him. Mary knew that the perfect life of Jesus was hers. She trusted in that. She knew that her sins were placed on Jesus and his sacrifice for her salvation. Jesus says, you won't always have me. What an invitation. Jesus is available to all of us right now. But there will come a time for all of us, just like Judas, when it's too late. Jesus said in Matthew and Mark, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken in memory of her. So here it is. There's nothing special about Mary. Nothing different than all of you and me. 
The difference is that she believed. She heard the gospel of Jesus Christ dying for sinners and she believed and put her faith in Christ. If you understand this truth and it's affecting your heart right now, give your heart to Jesus. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. It doesn't matter how big your sins are or how small they are. Please don't let your heart harden. That's what Jesus did and eventually it was too late for him. Jesus loves you with an unconditional love right now just the way you are. For all of us that are here, let's use this example of Mary to increase our desire and our devotion to Christ. Take your commitment to Christ to another level and continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's Jesus that is working in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I praise you and I thank you, Lord, for your sovereign hand over all things, Lord Jesus. And I thank you, Father, for the Spirit of God that made sure that this account would be recorded in your holy word. And Lord, would you use the words that were spoken to today, would you etch them into our hearts that it would excite us about you in a, in a greater level, Lord, that we couldn't wait to tell people about you because of what you have done for us. And that, Lord, that you would um, take our thoughts and our words and use them in a way to bring glory to you and benefit those that we love, Lord Jesus. Father, as children of God, we know, Lord, that you are the way and the truth and the life, and no one can come to the Father but through you. So we're thankful, Lord. We're thankful for um, picking us up out of the muck and mire and causing us to have faith and belief on you. Lord, use the preaching of your word today for your glory and for our good. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You're invited to stand as we...